Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and again, we're going to be talking about the Kingdom of God. And uh, we're going to do it by looking at the uh, minor prophet Habakkuk. And uh, we finished up several prophets already, and uh, we have a page at Preparing You that talks about the prophets and and the minor prophets. And we have already started going through a lot of the... uh, Notes of on uh, some of the other prophets with longer books like Isaiah and Ezekiel and uh, even Elijah in a way was a prophet of God. Uh, not only for his time but certainly for our time. Um, probably one of the more amazing ones that is overlooked by many people. But uh, of course all this has to tie into Jesus Christ and this consistent theme of salvation through Yahweh, through God the Father, through the divine creator of life uh, in the universe. And uh, there seems to be, you know, I haven't been everywhere in the universe, but there seems to be a pattern in creation that brings life and a pattern in creation that if we stray from that pattern... It comes what we call judgment. It comes consequences. Cause and effect. We live in a cause and effect universe. That idea of cause and effect, we find it uh, actually inculcated into the actual language of the Hebrew. And uh, they talk about this over and over again. That if you go a certain way, certain things will happen. If you go another way... (laughs) Other things will happen. And uh, your choice is what way do you want to go. Once you choose the way you want to go, then there is a predestination that is put into place by that choice. It isn't God. We aren't simply divine spiritual puppets, you know, carbon puppets that are... uh, you know, acting out some sort of script and play written by God. God gave us choice. And the reason, of course, that he gave us choice was without choice, there is no love. And the nature of God is to give choice, to give life. And uh, without choice, there really isn't life. There's only chemical reactions. And, of course, we have a lot of uh, people in the media who, because they th- believe that they are atheists, uh, that they believe that we are simply chemical reactions, that uh, all this came about because of billions and billions of actions and reactions and electrical charges in the universe, and we were just sort of self-created by the science of physics and uh, electrochemistry. And they don't see a spiritual pattern, theme, operating in the universe. Although there's 
more and more evidence showing up as physicists begin to examine, you know, science and uh, what they call science and uh, their observations that they believe that there is something else that is going on in the in the world of quantum or what have you. There's all kinds of things they cannot explain that be seem to be the result of some other forces in the universe that they have not accounted for under their microscopes and test tubes and electron microscopes. And that, of course, is the realm of spirit, which is pre-existing the realm of the physical universe that we know. You know, the whole idea in Genesis of of you know, darkness was upon the deep and then God breathes on the waters and then things are formed. Things come into existence. And of course, when I breathe as I'm speaking, the vibration of my larynx produces words that travel through the universe of air around me and can arrive at your ears uh, including through the electronic devices that are before me, and uh, you hear my voice. Well, is there also a voice of God transmitting in a spiritual universe that is coming to each of us all the time? That it is the background noise of creation. And God is speaking to you all the time, but are you listening? Maybe this is why the prophets say to be still and know that you are preoccupied listening to the world, the flesh, and the devil, and all the other things that are trying to distract you and pull your attention, and you are not waiting upon waiting upon the Lord or hearing the words of the Lord as they come to you. And because of that, you may make bad choices. Like Adam and Eve made a choice. They decided to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They decided to decide for themselves what was good and evil. And lo and behold, their descendants have other men deciding for them, other men and women deciding for them what is good and what is evil. And we've seen that most recently in the news that the governments of the world are deciding that if you don't do this, you are evil. And if you don't do that, you are evil. And uh, if you do this or that, you are good. And uh, there seems to be a pattern coming from the rulers of the world that is leading to a path of destruction. We've seen the economy destroyed. We've seen lives by the millions, hundreds of millions of people, their lives, their savings have been destroyed. People are starving to death. Children are starving to death all around the world because somebody thought we needed a shutdown. It was only to be two weeks, uh, you know, to to flatten the curve. But now it's going on two years and uh, there are shortages worldwide. There are shortages coming to the most prosperous nation in the world, which was the United States or America at least. And uh, all kinds of things are on the horizon for any economist who's looking at the world today. The world meaning, meaning what it means when Jesus says, My kingdom's not of the world. He used a particular word for world. 
And he's saying, my kingdom's not of that world. It's on the planet. It's at hand. It's within your reach. You're supposed to be seeking it and the righteousness of my kingdom. But my kingdom's not of the world of Pontius Pilate, uh, the world of Rome, the world of the Pharisees. Because they all had governments that they had established for themselves and handwritten ordinances in those governments that people had to obey because some legislature or Sanhedrin or Senate had decided this is good and this is evil and were imposing their will upon the people who were subject to their will because the people had been snared by their table. This is a theme we see from David to Paul that what should have been for your welfare has become a snare. Peter tells us this, that through your covetous practices, your desire for to eat at the table of rulers... Something Proverbs told us not to do, to put a knife to our throat if we had an appetite to eat at the table of rulers, who Jesus refers to as benefactors who exercise authority one over the other and calls them, you know, the princes and rulers of the other nations as he speaks to his apostles, his ambassadors, And tells them that I appoint unto you a kingdom, but you are not to be like the kingdoms, the governments of the world who exercise authority one over the other. Provide benefits for the people, you know, set the table of welfare for the people, but do it by exercising force. Because the government that can give you everything you want can take away everything you have including your right to choose. As Archibald said, without your right to choose, you become a thing. And Peter tells us that through those covetous practices of wanting benefits at the expense of our neighbor, which is taking away the right of our neighbor to choose whether or not to help us or not, we take that right away. When we create these worlds, these governments that exercise authority. We take away the right of our neighbor to choose whether he wants to give to us, to share with us. We take that away. And because we take that choice away from him, that choice is also taken away from us. Cause and effect. As you judge, so shall ye be judged. Cause and effect. This is a theme of all the prophets from one point of view or another. So, if you went to Preparing You and you looked up the word prophets, I have a page called Prophets. (laughs) I I spent uh, about an hour this morning adding to that page. And what I was adding to that page is the fact that uh, uh, the themes of you know, uh, the different uh, prophets. And we've been dealing mostly with the minor prophets. And uh, so the themes of each of these prophets have a certain pattern and similarity in them. 
And it has to do with, of course, the time in which those prophets were writing. And uh, we know that some of those prophets were giving prophecies before certain events to certain kings that had come about in Israel at a certain time. Sometimes it was just after they returned from captivity, captivity in Babylon, or they were about to go into captivity, <laughs> one or the other. And uh, they gave us certain prophecies, and they all had a little bit different approach. And, and we've done several of these, like we just finished Nahum. Uh, eventually, we'll have recordings with all of these uh, different prophets. And uh, as we do them and finish them and complete them, and we have uh, pages at Preparing You where you can go down. And these are Bible studies for each of these. And as I do them, you know, before I do them, I go and I read all the different uh, commentaries on them. I look at the uh, several of the different English translations. I, I consistently use the King James just for consistency of looking at the these translations. But then I also go in and look at the Hebrew itself. And I used to look up the different Hebrew words and everything, but when you actually go to the Hebrew text that we have that has survived down, and Habakkuk, for instance, we find in the Dead Sea Scrolls. So we have pretty old copies of Habakkuk. And some people actually in the news today are telling us that the third chapter of Habakkuk is predicting a disaster in our times. I mean, a worldwide disaster in our times. And, of course, Ezekiel predicts, uh, you know, prophesies certain things. I, Elijah prophesies certain things. And when we start to understand the themes of each of these different prophets, and, and, and... <laughs> I repeat myself, we began to listen for that voice of God speaking in the ether of our universe. We will begin to understand what is about to happen, or what we need to know of what is about to happen, but more important, what we need to do because of what is about to happen. But if we are actually waiting upon the Lord and listening to the Lord instead of to our own tree of knowledge, that everybody wants to know what's coming. You know, what's a good interpretation of the book of Revelation? Because Revelation is supposed to be about the future. You know, what, what, what is coming? We want to know what is coming so we can get prepared. Why? Well, to do the will of the Father. Or to save yourself. Because if you're coming to save yourself, you're not coming in the name of Christ. Because Christ did not come to save himself. He came to save others. You see, if you're not coming in the name of Christ, there is no salvation for you. Because you don't really believe in Christ. Because if you really believe in Christ, you will automatically cause an effect. That belief in the real Christ, not you... Not your imaginary Christ, your imaginary Jesus, that is created a lot of times by, you know, the brutish pastors of the world. They talk about the brutish pastors. We've talked about them in the past. You know, the false prophets. 
They've created an image of Christ, and, and Christ said they would do this, that would be a false Christ. And a lot of people believe in that false image of Christ. And they believe in that false image of Christ, but that's not going to bring the effect of the true Christ. That's going to bring the effect of what a lot of these prophets are talking about, Amos and Obadiah and Jonah and Micah. You know, the theme of Micah, like uh, Isaiah, is a book of vision. There's prophecy and vision. What vision did he have? A vision with the punishment of Israel. But a creation of a remnant. And of course, Revelation talks about a remnant. It talks about somebody who learns the song of Moses and the song of the Lamb. I've expanded our pages on that in the last week or so. So that you'll understand. Can can you hum me a few bars of the song of the Lamb? (laughs) Do you know that song? Do you sing that in your churches? The song of the Lamb? Uh, Most of the churches I've been in do not sing the song of Moses nor the song of the Lamb. Even the synagogues don't sing the song of Moses. They proclaim Moses, but they don't sing the song of Moses. And so what does that mean? You see, I mean, at the time of Jesus Christ, the Pharisees claimed to know Moses. And they had a lot of handwritten ordinances that you had to follow. Pharisees had turned a lot of the spiritual messages in the prophets and in the Torah into ritual forms. They had unmoored the spiritual nature of those messages and created a form religion. It was all about form. And their interpretations became the handwritten ordinances that Christ put an end to, nailed to the cross. Because Christ said, I'm going to take the kingdom away from you and appoint it to another who bears fruit. But today, the modern church is not bearing fruit. As a matter of fact, the modern church for the last 40 years, 50 years, has been emptying out. People have been getting away from the church because the church has become impotent. It's not doing what the first century church is doing. And we go over exactly what the first century church was doing, which was what early Israel was doing. And we pointed out to people, but they sit in such darkness, you get the, we've talked about it recently, the deer in the headlight look staring back at you. So anyway, on our prophet page and a lot of the footnotes and I, I've been going through, and I'm probably going to hone this because I really don't like some of the... Uh, explanations of these different uh, different uh, prophets. But uh, like I said, I've been going over Habakkuk and I, I do this several weeks in advance where I, I go through and read Habakkuk and then I go through and look at it in the Hebrew and, I, and then I read the commentaries and then I go back and look at the Hebrew. And in between all that, I go out to the desert and try to move water where there has been no water <laughs> and turn grass that is brown green. And it's there's been a drought lately. 
And I think the whole world is suffering from that drought, spiritually speaking. And uh, moving that water around is, it requires that the ground actually cooperate with you. The drought has been so bad that the water does not get all the way across the field. Because the ground is so dry, it just, the water is just sucked up by the first one it comes to. So I, I create ditches and, and dig miles and miles of ditches so that uh, the water can go quickly to where it's needed. And of course, Christ commanded that his disciples, who were his disciples or students, though all those disciples that Jesus was teaching, the ways of the kingdom too. He called them disciples. He's calling them students. And so that they would learn the ways of the kingdom. And those who stuck with him and learned the ways of the kingdom, then he, he said that he would send the comforter. And the comforter is what we call this Holy Spirit that gave them and magnified and Produce the one accord of the apostles. They, they got into some sort of one accord, but then the Holy Spirit came and created this common theme of Yahweh that we see in all the prophets and wrote it in their hearts and in their minds. So then they could go out in the world where there were dearths and there were, there were problems and, uh, and there were enemies of righteousness, and they came into the world with this extra protection of the Holy Spirit. And one of the themes that we see in, in one of the prophets is that when you follow the way of Yahweh, His way, which is the way of Christ, that's what Christianity was called, the way. It wasn't called Christianity until Antioch, it was called the way. And so you have to ask yourself, am I following the way or am I following my way? Am I doing it my way? You know, like Frank Sinatra. (laughs) He did it his way. Or are you doing it the way of the Father? And the way of the Father, and we know the way of Jesus, was to command those same disciples to make the people sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. And those of you who study history closely Understand that the Christians were organized in this tens, hundreds, and thousands. So that, you know, I I had a discussion with somebody on the internet recently. Because I I went to a group that has thousands of people on it. And I post on that group. I used to get a lot of flack on that group. Because I would say certain things that were outside of their realm of belief. Because many of them are believing in that false image of Jesus. But now I'm getting more and more likes on that uh, that Facebook page. And more and more people are looking at it and, and going to our website and looking at these things. But we are not going to awaken anybody. We are not going to enlighten anybody. We're just bearing witness that there is a truth out there. But it's only when the people begin to repent, which is thinking differently... And start following the way of Christ, which is the way of righteousness, which is the way of the prophets. That that Holy Spirit can enter into them and reveal to them what they had previously not seen. We'll be right back.
So welcome back. So we're looking at Habakkuk, and uh, I just went through the first part of the show kind of introducing what we see in almost all the prophets and throughout the theme of the whole Bible, which your modern Christian, your modern Jew, even your modern Muslim seems to miss entirely, is that this covetous practices, this coveting of your neighbor's right to choose, your neighbor's right to choose over those things which he produces, uh, you know, that we've become accustomed to living at the expense of others and depending for our livelihood on the property of others. And think nothing of forcing our neighbors to, you know, we, we think we're Christians. I had a neighbor who, you know, I was helping take care of them for years, uh, for at least for months intensively taking care of them. And uh, thought highly of them. But they could not see that at the time, at one point in their life, they could not see. They wanted to have something done in their community that they thought was a good thing. And it was a fine thing. But instead of looking to the neighbors to voluntarily work together to bring that thing about, they put it on the tax rolls. And thought, well, it's just a little thing. You know, it's it's not much. You know, it's like $6 extra taxes on the property taxes of everybody in their county. To get this thing that they wanted done, done. And they said, it's a good thing. Everybody should be fine with that. Except for they weren't fine with letting everybody choose to give $6. Now, of course, everybody wouldn't have given $6. Many people wouldn't give them anything. But some people might give them $60. And some might give $600. Or maybe $50 worth of their own personal time. But they wanted to put it on the tax rolls and then they don't have to think about it anymore. Instead of having the community all come together and do that thing which they wanted, which is they wanted green grass growing on their grandfather's grave. So they wanted to put the cemeteries on the tax rolls. The care and maintenance of the cemeteries on the tax rolls. And they thought that was okay and that was a good idea. But they stole that choice away from their neighbor. They took it away from them. And it's gone now. It's not coming back. The, the, the county's not going to suddenly say, well, no, we're going to take that off the tax rolls and you people can take care of it yourself. Well, at least doesn't appear that that will happen in this county. It might. <laughs> it might happen in this county where they suddenly say, well, no, we're, we're going to have to cut our budget because the, right now I can tell you that the state in, that I, I'm dwelling in at this time, and the county in, in that state are going head-to-head on a regular basis over this vaccination issue. They want everybody vaccinated in the county, or at least 90% of the people, 80 to 90% of the people vaccinated in the county, and we have the lowest vaccination rate in the state. And so they're threatening to withhold funds from the county you know, which has become dependent over the years for more and more of these tax funds to operate. Now, this county happens to be probably one of the most fiscally responsible counties 
probably because it is the poorest county in Oregon. It is the oldest county in Oregon. And uh, a lot of other things that are unique in this county. But uh, we, even though we had this extremely low vaccination rates, we just had people go into the hospital with blood clots in their brain, which was predicted by scientists would be the result of taking these injections. And other people have had blood clots in their vascular system and other parts of their body. And they've, you know, nurses who took the the shots have ended up in intensive care. And we've had uh, numerous deaths from people who just suddenly die. Healthy people suddenly die in the middle of the night. And nobody seems to know why, but it seems to be related to issues of the heart. Which was all predicted by scientists saying, you know, the scientists, the top scientists, some of them in, in the world, saying you should not get this jab. But those... People have been canceled from the media. They've been, you know, like Ioannidis says, you know, he has to go to a foreign country. The guy who wrote the book on virology has to go to a foreign country to talk about COVID and the injection. And he's, because he says our institutions have been hijacked. Our medical institutions, uh, the institutions we created and for the health and well-being of the public have been hijacked. How could they have been hijacked? It was inevitable according to the prophets. It's a matter of cause and effect. See, because you have used your media to justify, you've used your churches to justify coveting your neighbor's goods. Eating at the table of rulers who exercise authority one over the other, even though Christ said it is not to be that way with you in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And he really said it also in John and several other different ways. That you are not to be that way. Yet all these churches say, no, it's okay to be that way. It's okay to covet your neighbor's goods. To take away choice from your neighbors. So that you can have free stuff. Free education, take care of my parents, Medicare, Medicaid. And, and we have people that just think that's absolutely okay. Now some of them say they are Christians. Some of them say they are atheists. But the ones who say they are Christians... Those are the ones that Jesus said that he will tell them, Get ye from me, I know you not. Why does he know you not? Because you know him not. You think you know him, but you are looking at a false Christ created by false churches, false prophets, false pastors, false shepherds of the people that have told you over and over again, it's okay to covet your neighbor's goods through the men who exercise authority one over the other, even though Jesus said it's not okay and it's not to be that way with you. So Habakkuk, the theme of Habakkuk, according to Wikipedia, is uh, trying to grow from a faith of perplexity and doubt to the height of absolute trust in God. That's what he's trying to get you to do, is to grow from a faith. This is what Wikipedia says. Well, I, I found that kind of kind of confusing. Habakkuk addresses, according to Wikipedia again, his concerns over the fact that God will use the Babylonian Empire to execute judgment on Judah for their sins. 
and we'll be talking about what their sins are and what that means. You know, what's what was the whoredom that they were talking about in Nahum? Well, we've gone through that. Because that, that's mentioned in Old and New Testaments, mentioned Revelation, this whoredom. And this whoredom actually has to do with these systems of benefits by men who exercise authority. Because Christ commanded that his ministers not exercise authority. His ministers were to feed his sheep, to be good shepherds, good pastors. That's what pastor, the word pastor is translated from the word that means shepherd. To take care of his flocks. To provide, you know, this is what, to rightly divide the bread from house to house. See, when I go out into the field, I'm rightly dividing the water to go out into the field. And I don't want too much water over here. I'll get a different kind of grass. I want that water spread over here so I get the right kind of grass in the right place so that the sheep will be fed by the field. That's that's the role of a bishop is to help the tens, hundreds, and thousands, the people who have sat down according to the character of Christ so that others may live. Not to save themselves, but so that others may live. And and the bishops of the church established by Christ is to help rightly divide that bread. And the way they do that is they say, yeah, these guys need a little water, but these guys have no water. We need to take some water and send there. But they can't take away the choices of the people. They're not rulers. They're servants, because Christ did not create offices of power. He created offices of service. So really the best summary, and we'll we'll visit this, because it tells you right in Habakkuk, the best summary is that the just shall live by faith. And because we live in that cause and effect universe, we know that the unjust will receive the rewards of, of wickedness. They think they're going to get the rewards of unrighteousness, uh, which is, they don't call it unrighteous because they have already decided in their head that it's okay to covet your neighbor's goods because they've been told that by the false prophets, by the mountains of Samaria who sit in darkness. And those of you who have been following along in Nahum, you know who the mountains of Samaria are now. For most people, the mountains of Samaria are CNN and MSNBC. <laughs> Those guys who lie to you on a regular basis. Even even Fox News doesn't tell you the truth. They don't tell you the whole truth. I mean, your choice is not between Democrats and Republicans. That's like the choice between the devil and the deep blue sea. You know, because both of them have the same policies of taking away from their neighbor... You know, the the fellow who we were taking care of, who thought it was okay to put the cemeteries on the tax rolls, he originally, when I met him, was a Democrat. And over a period of time, he eventually became a Republican. In the, in the final analysis, in the last days, I think he became a Christian. <laughs> Which is different than both a Democrat and a Republican. <laughs> because he, well... For one thing, they weren't, he ran out of money. <laughs> and the hospitals didn't want him anymore. So we took care of him. He got better when we took care of him. 
And his last days were much, much better than they were when we visited him when the government was taking care of him. <laughs> but that's another whole story. Let's get into Habakkuk. Let's take a look at what Habakkuk has to, has for us and what Habakkuk is telling us. And, of course, it was, what I've done with most of the prophets is I have a page, you know, like Amos or Nahum. And it's kind of introductory before introductory before we get into the actual different chapters. There's only three chapters in Habakkuk. And Habakkuk's another one of these poets. But uh, Habakkuk 3 is a very unique poet. Uh, poetry in Habakkuk 3. that follows through most of Habakkuk 3. It seems to break in, in a couple of places. And we'll get into that when we go through Habakkuk 3. And like I said, Habakkuk 3, according to people who are claiming to be prophets today, is telling about a worldwide disaster where... Hundreds of millions of people will be killed. The whole planet will be devastated. And he says that it's predicted in Habakkuk 3. So there's a there's a little carrot for you to listen to the end. Because <laughs> we're not going to get to Habakkuk 3 today. Now some of you are going to run and uh, look ahead. Because... <laughs> You want to say, well, what does Habakkuk 3 say? And and you may go look at our page on Habakkuk 3, and uh, we have side notes in there. But we don't tell you. Because <laughs> we, don't, we don't want you to listen to us any more than you the false prophets of the world. A true prophet of God wants you to listen to God, which is why I talked about in the very first part of this show that God is speaking to you right now. He's speaking to you in the Spirit right now. But can you hear Him right now? Or or is your head full of judgment? See, if you're judging your neighbor, if you're judging the Democrats, or judging the Republicans, Democrats like to judge Republicans, and Republicans like to judge Democrats. And they both get a sense of self-righteousness by judging one another. But the reality is, neither one of them are following the ways of God. One might be a little bit closer, you know, and, you know, like if you're running the bases, and you, you know, you, you hit a home run, and you run from first to second to third, and then back to home plate. If you don't touch second, <laughs> you, the run, run won't count. You gotta, you gotta get to second base and touch it. And then go to third base and touch it. And then you got to go, we got a lot of guys that are running the bases and they're skipping stuff. They think it's okay to keep coveting your neighbor's goods. There isn't hardly a Republican who doesn't think it's okay to covet your neighbor's goods. Even, even Ben Shapiro, who claims to be a Pharisee, you know, a modern Pharisee, not like the bad Pharisees of the New Testament, but he claims to be a Pharisee. He talks about, you know, returning marriage shouldn't be a, a responsible, you know, the recording of marriages and the, and the institution of marriage shouldn't be in the hands of the state. I mean, the guy who really brought that up in our, I'm not going to say our generation, but in our most recent history was the brother of Marie Antoinette, which we explain on, on the website on our articles on marriage. That he thought the state should control 
the union of marriage. It's so that your union would be a three-party union, your spouse and you and the state. He thought that was a good idea, and he literally bribed the church to go along with it. The church at that time in his area, he was from, uh, I think, what we would call Austria. And, but the, he wasn't the first one to come up. Justinian had the same idea in the days of Christianity. And even before him, you can go back to Nimrod, had the same idea. And uh, they also had birth registration. I added to our page on birth registration. Christians got into a lot of trouble because of birth registration. Because it became mandatory under Marcus Aurelius. You didn't know that? Didn't they teach you that in history class in school? (laughs) Marcus Aurelius compelled that you had to register your newborn child within 30 days with the state. Why? Because the child was a collateral of the state. Had to become a part of the state. And Christians got into trouble because they wouldn't do that. Why, why wouldn't they do that? Well, the only reason you register the child is to get benefits. And they wouldn't eat at that table because they understood that that table of a man like Marcus Aurelius, who was really a nice guy in a lot of ways, had one of the worst human rights records for persecuting Christians. But, you know, I've got the meditations of Marcus Aurelius. He sounds like a Presbyterian minister. I've got that right up here on the shelf. He sounds like a Presbyterian minister talking about responsibility and all this kind of stuff, but he persecuted Christians. How could he sound like a Presbyterian minister? And I don't want to pick on Presbyterians. You could, he could fall under maybe some synods of the Methodists and Lutherans. <laughs> but, but the reality is, is that he persecuted Christians. And one of the reasons he persecuted them is he couldn't get them to register their children. For the benefits offered to the people for free at the temples. Because the temples were all government buildings. And if you were registered, you got free bread. Or sometimes free cheese and free wine. And and when there were feasts, you got free meat. All you had to do is prove that you were registered. And you got a little tessera, you know, a little clay coin that would show that, yeah, I'm registered. And you would get these... Free food. Sometimes free money. Almost all the emperors gave out free money. I shouldn't say all of them. Many of them in the early days were giving out free money to the needy of society. They took care of the needy of society. The problem was it was because they were men who exercised authority. They only gave you what they took away from others. When Rome was rising to greatness, all that caring for the needy of society was done through free will offerings. In ancient Israel, it was done through free will offerings. In early Christianity, it was done through free will offerings. We call it charity. But there was another form of charity, which Alexis Tocqueville calls legal charity. Legal comes from the word means bound or binding. And legal charity is the religion of the socialists where they force the contribution of the people and take care of the needy of society. And I mentioned Ben Shapiro. He even says, and I've heard him say this, that yes, we need a social safety net. Referring to the social safety net of government. And Christ says you need a social safety net of government. 
But the government of Christ and the government of Moses both relied on free will offerings through a network of people sitting in tens, hundreds, and thousands. Even at the time of Christ, the synagogues were still ten families. And there was the synagogue of Satan, which forced the contributions of the people in the form of taxation. And there was the synagogue of Christ, the congregation of Christ, which depended upon free will offerings. One depended upon charity, and the other one depended upon legal charity, forced charity. Like the guy who forced the contributions of the people to take care of going green grass on his grandfather's grave. If if we die, we want to be buried on the church property. And nobody will ever be forced to <laughs> to to grow grass on our grave. They'll have to choose to do it. Not that we need grass to grow on our grave. Well, chances are we'll put it where there is no grass growing. But uh, and we'll let the we'll let the livestock graze off what grass volunteers. <laughs> so, but uh, anyway, back to Habakkuk. This book of Habakkuk is you know it's the eighth book of the twelve minor prophets in in what we call the Hebrew Bible. It, it is uh, attributed to a prophet by the name of Habakkuk. Strange enough. And was probably composed in the late 7th century B.C. That's that's what they believe. Of the three chapters in the book, the first two are a dialogue between Yahweh and the people. The, the central message of that dialogue is the just shall live by faith. Now that's a short little statement. And we, we find it in the New Testament several times. In, in first chapter of Romans, verse 17. For therein the righteous of God revealed from faith to faith. And is, as it is written, the judge, the just shall live by faith. And so, Paul's quoting Habakkuk. He's saying, as it is written, and that's where it was written. In Habakkuk. So that book that was written 700 years, 700 years before Christ was still pertinent enough that Paul would quote from it. And so we can, we can read in Romans 11.18. Yeah, I think it's Romans 11.18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Well, that's who we're talking about, is those who say they believe in Christ, but are actually following the ways of unrighteousness. See, if you really believe in Christ, you don't want to follow the ways of unrighteousness. You don't want to covet your neighbor's goods. That desire is not in you. You you will reject that. That's why James is telling us that you'll know them by what they're doing. If they say, we love Jesus, but we want to have free stuff at the expense of our neighbor, and we want men who exercise authority to take away from our neighbor so that we can have that free stuff, that's not a Christian. That's ungodliness. You don't believe in God. 
You believe in the gods of the world who will decide what is good and what is evil. What you should give and what you should not give. You're not a Christian if you think that's okay. You're the antithesis of Christ. You're the synagogue of Satan. You're the church of Satan. You're the church of the adversary of Christ. People don't want me to say that. Some people say, oh no, don't be so hard on these people. We want to... We want to seduce them into his holy church. Well, his holy church is just a phrase. It's only Christ's church if you're doing the will of Christ. Israel, by the name Israel, we know that it is a place where God prevails. If covetousness prevails in your heart, God's not in there. You're not listening to God. You're listening to something else. And you need to be still and forgiving to hear what you should be hearing. And we will continue this after a brief break. Be right back. So, the just shall live by faith. That's what Habakkuk says. The just shall live by faith. Paul says it too in Romans 1.17. And so, what's the just? Who's the just? Who's unjust? Who's the unrighteousness uh, and the unrighteous of the world? And Paul tells us, you know, Paul says that if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll be saved. But a lot of people say they believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. They confess that they believe in the Lord Jesus Christ with their mouth only. Because their actions tell us a different story. They are liars. They may not be lying to you because they consciously don't know they are lying, but they are lying to themselves. But Paul says enough about this so that we will know if we are lying to ourselves. James tells us, you know, how do you know who's telling the truth? By what they do. Well, in truth, Paul tells us the same thing. Like I said, in, in, in Romans eleven eighteen. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. In other words, they say that this is true, but they don't really do what is true. They do contrary to the truth. They do contrary to the way. And Paul tells us in right away in Romans 1. Verse 20, being filled with the unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whispers, being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness. Oh, do I have that in there twice? I do. I'm going to have to fix that. You, you, I fixed a bunch of stuff during the break. Uh, and I'll have to fix that. But uh, but it's worth repeating. Being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, and whispers. Verse 30. Backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implicable, 
unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death. Not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. Now we see people doing some of these things, taking pleasure in them. But there's, you know, you don't have to do every single one of those things. But just just the covetous part will lead to many of those other things. Envy. Why, why do you covet? You know, that we're, we're only going to tax the rich so that we can have free stuff. But that's because you're envious. You see, they're overlapping. All the, And that's wicked. Now you've gone to the men who exercise authority and said, that, Hey, will you take away from my neighbors so that I can have more free stuff? Well, you know, you're backbiters. You're haters of God. You're despiteful. Proud, boasters, inventors of Christianity, which is it's inventors of false Christianity, which is an evil thing. And uh, when they say disobedient to parents, you know, they talk about honor thy father and mother. And we could go look at the original Greek there. Honoring thy father and thy mother means to take care of their father and their mother. So that their days will be long upon the land and that your days will be long upon the land because your children will see you taking care of your parents and they will, by that example, want to take care of you. And if they see you turning your parents' care over to Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, they will turn you over to the same systems. And by the time you go into such systems, they will be less efficient than they are today. <laughs> and when you run out of money, yeah, I was, we were just dealing with somebody that we help take care of now. That the doctors put them on a medication and we see these changes taking place in that individual. And so I said, find out what this medication is. And they gave me the name and I looked it up on my phone and all the symptoms we're seeing are side effects to the medication. And they say, if you see these things, stop taking it right away and call your doctor. <laughs> and then we looked at what some doctors recommend. And what they do is they take 10 milligrams if you have these symptoms and they turn it into 28 milligrams. <laughs> That's their solution. And there are so many better solutions that don't cost you anything. And uh, But, you know, you cannot reverse the cause and effect of the universe. You live a certain way for all your life. It's not just going to go away. Uh, we, The kingdom of God is from generation to generation. And each, each generation is going to get better or it's going to get worse. Depending on how you take care of the last generation will determine how your generation will be cared for. And the last generation or two or three has been cared for by the state, not by the people. And we have to repent of that and start taking care of business ourselves, the business of God ourselves, and step turning it over to men who exercise authority. Romans 2, verse 1, Therefore, thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art, that judgeth 
For wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself. For thou that judgest does the same things. Which is what I told you. That if you judge it's okay that the government take away from your neighbor so that you can have free stuff, then it's okay that the government take away for you so that somebody else can have free stuff. See? You've created a government that can give you everything you want at the expense of your neighbor. And now that government can take away everything you have at your expense. That's what you judged was okay. And you go, whoa, no, no, I didn't mean that. But you did mean that. And somebody said to me, and says, well, how could, they've done all this and we didn't, they didn't tell us. They didn't show us. They did it in secret. You've known that public school is paid for by taxing everybody in the county. And by taxing now, heavily federally supported, by taxing people all over the United States, you get free money from the government, which also includes money that the federal government borrows, uh, and that curses your children with the debt, so that you can have free education. That's just math. Yeah. It, even with new math, it it comes out the same way. That you've been coveting your neighbor's goods so that you get free education for your kids. You've been coveting your neighbor's goods so that you can have a military that protects you. So that you can have a police that protects you. I don't want to defund the police. I want to make the police superfluous. That you all become the police. But you're not capable of becoming the police in your society because you have not yet learned the ways of righteousness. You know, you're, you're still following the ways of unrighteousness. Uh, Romans 7, 7. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. So the law is not sin. Nay, I had not known sin... But by the law, for I had not known lust, except the law said, had said, thou shalt not covet. Lust, thou shalt not covet. Yeah, lust, wantonness. You desired benefits at the expense of others. You coveted your neighbor's goods so that you could have free stuff. We know that's a sin. Jesus did not do away with that reality. That is part of the law of God. Because it's part of the law of love. You don't love your neighbor if you think it's okay to take choice away from your neighbor. And turn your neighbor into a human resource. Colossians 2.14 Blotting out the handwritten, the writing of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to the cross... Much of the law that Paul is talking about doing away with, because they have just the one Greek word nomos. It's not like Latin where we have two different words. Lex legis and jus juris. One is a legal system. That's the handwritten ordinances. And the other one, jus juris, is what's just right and fair. But the Greeks just have nomos. So when he's talking about law being done away with, he's talking about the handwritten ordinances that were taking away your right to choose. The Pharisees were doing that. If you signed up with Herod and the Pharisees for a social welfare program run through the temple, you had to pay in. They came out and they they walked 
and paste off your wheat field. They estimated how much grain your wheat field would produce. And you were taxed on that wheat field. When you had a catch come in, fish come in on your boat, they would come and they would count the fish and take their portion. They would even count the branches on the Cummings plant that was in your windowsill because they had a right to a portion of those. They took away your right to choose to count for yourself. They, You were back in the bondage of Egypt. The bondage of Egypt, you had to pay 20% of your labor into the government. That was the bondage of Egypt, and God told us never to return there again. But your modern churches say, no, it's okay to go back there again, as long as you believe in Jesus. But if you really believed in Jesus, you would not be wanting to go back there, because you would not be coveting your neighbor's goods. Romans thirteen nine. For this thou shalt not commit adultery. Now, again, I have a link there. I put it in during the break, break to our article on adultery. Most of the adultery that's mentioned in the Bible is national adultery. Well, how do you have national adultery? And we've talked about that when we talked about the prophets. They, they talk about the, the whoredom, the harlot, the favored harlot. And, and the church is a bride of Christ, but the church you may be serving may be a harlot because it doesn't provide, it does not feed the sheep. It doesn't feed actual bread, rightly dividing the bread from house to house. They have that harlot who does it for money. They will divide the bread from house to house for money. They're, they're compelling the offerings of the people and they divide those offerings amongst you. And you're going to find in the days to come that, that Medicare, Medicaid and the Social Security payments and all these things don't meet the rise of inflation, the rise of the cost of food. And, and in many cases, the food won't even be there in the stores. And then eventually they will ration the food just like Rome did. And they will control the prices. They will try that for a while. And uh, persecution will prevail. Now, many of you who are not real Christians, you may not be persecuted, but you will reap the rewards of the condemnation of the ways that you have decided to follow. But if you decide to become a true Christian, you must really commit to that true Christianity. Sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. Don't come together to save yourself, but come in the name of Christ to save others. See, even Romans 13.9 says, For this thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet, and if there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Which is what Christ said. That's just summing up the Ten Commandments. If you love God, which is the first few commandments, and love your neighbor as yourself, you will keep all the other commandments. If you're not keeping those commandments, if you're coveting your neighbor's goods, then we know you don't really love Christ. You know you don't really love Christ. You know you have need of repentance. Love worketh no ill to his neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. And if you're not fulfilling the law, then 
the love you think you have is not the love of Christ. It's a different kind of love. It's a love that devours your neighbor, devours your nation, curses your children, makes your neighbor human resources, and with that, your neighbor, it makes you a human resource. It makes you merchandise. Because you're not keeping the law. Because the law is not written in you. And the law is not written in you because you weren't still. You believe the false religion of the modern church. And you have need of repentance. You need to turn around and go the other way. Anyway, so also in Galatians 3, chapter 3, verse 11, we see, But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God. You're not justified by the law. It is evident for you, evident for you, the just shall live by faith. Are you living by faith? You say you have faith in Christ, but are you living by faith or are you living by force? Are you dependent upon the men who exercise authority, the, the force and fear and fealty of the world that Christ's kingdom is not a part of? Is that who you've been going to? Your churches say it's okay. Now, some of you have been listening for a while. You still have this problem. Are you sitting down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands and caring for others as much as you care for yourself? But to many out there who think they're going to a church that is preaching Christ, that all I have to do is believe in Jesus, are you believing in the real Jesus or a fictitious Jesus that has been created in your mind by the prophet's that are the false prophets of Samaria, the false prophets of truth. Because they're not really telling you the nature of Christ and the nature of his kingdom. His kingdom is a government of the people, for the people, and by the people. That's what Wycliffe's Bible says. This is the book for the government of the people, for the people, and by the people. Because it's a government that operates by charity. In the perfect law of liberty. Paul talks about the perfect law of liberty. That's where you give the right to your neighbor to choose. And, you know, it's not just in Galatians, but we can see it in 1 Corinthians 5.10, yet not all together with the fornicators of this world. What world? Fornicators of this world, or with the covetous, or the extortioners, or the idolaters. For them, so they put all those together. You see, they, when you covet your neighbor's goods to the men who exercise authority, the, the, the systems of the world, you become an extortioner as they force the contributions of the people so that you can have legal charity free stuff at the expense of your neighbor. You become an idolater. Now you will follow their mandates. And you may not like it, but you will have to because you've given them power to make choices for your neighbor and therefore you have given them power to make choices for you. This is because that's what you judge was okay. For then must ye needs go out of the world. You mean stop depending upon that system. And sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands so that you become the system of Christ. Not with legal charity, but with true charity, fervent charity, the charity of love. This is the gospel. 
This is what he was telling them to do. This is what they were doing. But now I have written unto you not to keep company if any man that is called a brother be a fornicator or covetous. Fornicator or covetous. Fornicator going to pathnos. You know, the, the, the systems of the world. That was fornication. The, the well-favored harlot who provides you with all these benefits. The free bread of Rome. That you're not to have anything to do with those that do that. Because they're idolaters. He goes on to say, or an idolater, or a railer, or a drunkard, or an extortioner, with such and one not to eat. You're not to eat with them. Because their table is a snare. What should have been for their welfare is a snare. It will snare you too. It has already snared you. Now you're in need of repentance. Which is why we go to Ephesians 5.3. For fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness. Putting them together again. Let it not be once named amongst you as becometh saints. See, you're not saints. When they say we and us, they're not talking about most of you. Because you're going to men who exercise authority. And we're not to have anything to do with the people who do that. Now we will if we see signs of repentance. Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. For this ye know, that no whoremonger, you know, those going and fornicating with the systems of the world, with that well-favored harlot, the synagogue of Satan, the the church that cares for the needy of the world through forced contributions, which is the public religion of the state, nor unclean person, nor covetous man, who is an idolater. See, the covetous men are idolaters. Those who desire those benefits at the expense of their neighbor, they are the idolaters. Hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God? He just told you, this is Paul. He said, all I have to do is believe. No, you are, if your parents are dependent upon the governments of the world rather than you, you have need of repentance. Now, I understand repentance is a process. I'm not saying jump out of the kingdom. Seek the kingdom. That's where Christ started. Jump out of the kingdom of the world. The governments of the world. I'm not saying jump out of those. Sit down the tens, hundreds, and thousands like Christ commanded. Start learning to take care of one another through faith, hope, and charity. Providing those benefits that people have been going to the world to get. That is really fornication and adultery and covetous practices. And start providing them for one another. That's going to be a process too. The more you step towards that, and we've seen this and we will see it more in the minor prophets, the Spirit of God can move upon the deep waters of creation and actually alter the very ground we walk upon, the very earth we walk upon. Look at, look at uh, uh, the destruction of Jericho. One wall didn't fall down. All the other walls fell down. One wall is still standing. We know that. Excavation shows this. One wall didn't fall down. 
Somebody lived in that wall. Was it the the woman who helped the Israelites? She was told that she would be spared. We know she lived on the outside wall because she lowered the Israelites down to the ground on the outside wall. We know she had access to the roof because that's where she dried the dyeing cloth that she was making, which we've gone into. There's a lot of misconception about who she was. But that wall evidently didn't fall down. At least one wall didn't fall down, and that was the story, that she would be spared. Something gave structure to that wall, protected that wall, built into that wall. This is the power of the Spirit. Your imagination can't do that. But the Spirit of God can do that. True salvation comes not through your imagination, but through the Spirit of God. And you simply submit to the character of God. And listen and wait upon the Lord. Let no man deceive you with vain words. That's what you're getting in most of these churches who have been leading you into the ways of unrighteousness. For because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. If you're depending upon covetous practices to take care of the needy of your society, your your parents, your children, your whatever, you're the children of disobedience. You need to turn around and go the other way. Seek to go the other way. That, it's a process. That's why Christ uses words like seek and persevere and strive. But as you truly do that, move in the direction of the kingdom of God and, and away from the kingdoms of the world in this steady process, God will run out and meet you halfway. Be not ye therefore partakers with them. Strive, struggle, persevere. Do not be partakers with them. And the way to do this is what you've been doing is not caring about your neighbor as much as you care about yourself. And you need to change that. You need to go the other way. So even in Hebrews 10.38, we see, Now the just shall live by faith. He repeats it again. We've seen three places now where they're repeating Habakkuk in the New Testament. So it would seem to be important to understand Habakkuk. Because the New Testament keeps going back there. The just shall live by faith. But if any man draw back from being that just, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. You don't want to be in that place where God's soul has no pleasure in you. The soul of God's servants have no pleasure in you. Where they want to say, you know, I don't want to have anything to do with you. You know, I we're not to be partakers with you We're not to sit down and eat with you. You have no inheritance in the kingdom. Now, all you have to do is repent and start going back the other way. Hopefully, with all true faith and allegiance to Christ and the way of Christ. But that will be up to you. Hebrews 13.5 Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as ye have For he hath said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. But if you're covetous, 
it may be a different story. But anyway, we'll be right back and we'll see if we can sum up this in a few more words. So welcome back. Uh, so we've seen in Romans 1.17, Galatians 3.11, and Hebrews 10.38 that the just shall live by faith. And we understand that faith is not force. Faith is a conviction, a belief in the way of Christ. And that way of Christ is a way of love. It would not force your neighbor to take care of you. You would not take away from your neighbor the right to choose to help you or not help you. You would just not do that as a Christian. But churches say it's okay to do that so you think it's okay. But those churches are not the church established by Christ. And you should know that if you actually are listening to the words of Christ. And not just our radio shows or our podcasts or... But actually listening to the words of God speaking to you in your heart and mind. But you may have to be still and stop thinking you already know in order to let God in to your heart so that you can know. So that your conversation becomes without covetousness as we see in Hebrews 13.5. Or in 2 Timothy 3.2, for men shall be lovers of their own self, of covetous, of boasters, proud, blasphemers. See, if you think it's okay to force your neighbor to contribute to your welfare, you're not loving your neighbor. You're sending men to your neighbor's house to force your neighbor to contribute to what you want for free. So, you can't stop the world from doing that. They're going to send people to your neighbor's house to force them to contribute so that you can have public schools and fire departments and and fire departments are good. I mean, generally speaking, fire departments, police departments can be good. They can keep order and that the world certainly needs order. But if you are seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness, you have to remember now, for over a hundred years in America, we have been steadily moving away from a system of righteousness into systems of legal charity, which is unrighteousness. Forced charity is not righteousness. It's taking away the right of your neighbor to choose to contribute to the welfare of one another. You've been taking that away. FDR was certainly taking that away. LBJ was certainly taking that with the New Deal and the War on Poverty and the Great Society... They were taking more and more choices away from the individual and forcing more and more contributions, borrowing more and more money against the future of your children, cursing your children with that debt. And in the last two years, to flatten the curve, (laughs) to flatten righteousness is really what it's all about, they've run up trillions of dollars worth of debt. For your children. There's no hope of your children ever getting out of bondage by paying off the debt now. It's never going to happen. The only thing that will come is what Habakkuk talks about and many of these prophets talk about is destruction of the trust. This unrighteous mammon. Mammon is a trust. It is your wealth in a trust. Your right to work, 
uh, your debt. You become a surety for debt. The New Testament talks about you becoming a surety for debt. That's all come about in the last hundred years. Your children are a surety for debt. Their, your only salvation will come with the destruction of the trust. The unrighteous mammon. In the meantime, you should be friends with the unrighteous mammon. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Get engaged in the process of seeking righteousness. We know what you've been doing seeking unrighteousness. And your churches have been saying it's okay to seek unrighteousness. And eat at the table of men who exercise authority one over the other. Proverbs told you no. Jesus Christ told you no. The prophets all told you no. Paul said no. Not to even have anything to do with the people who do that. But the modern church says it's okay. And you keep going to the modern church. Because it makes you feel so good. But if you go there and listen to them, you're not listening to God. Because they're telling you contrary to the will of God. You're getting that good feeling of fellowship. But we're told by Paul to have nothing to do with them. Don't be partakers with them. But you keep wanting to go back to those churches. And pray at those churches. God is not in those churches. He's not in those pastors. Now, I'm not saying you can't go there. I don't have, I can't exercise authority. I'm just telling you what Paul said. That, and if you go the way of Christ, and the Holy Spirit starts entering into you, and you start seeing more and more, because a lot of you have started seeing some of the truth. But you have to turn around your thinking, so that you turn around your feet. And the prophet will talk about that. Guide your feet. So that you start walking in the ways of righteousness. And then the Holy Spirit will come more. It's a process again. But if you say you repent, but don't turn around your feet (laughs) and start walking in the way of righteousness, the Holy Spirit will, this is where it will, and it will go away, and you will lose sight. And you wonder, like, what was it, what was it that I was thinking before? It's kind of like, the other day I, I, I got into my truck and we had dust storms here for almost three days. I mean, the dust storms were so thick you couldn't see the lake below us at, at times. Uh, and you go out and it's an alkali dust coming off a dry lake bed because we've had this drought. And it would get into your lungs. I mean, you'd be short of breath in a short period of time. And... Uh, so, but we got a little tiny bit of drizzle and all that dust stuck on the windshield. So I looked out the windshield and, oh, it was terrible. You couldn't even see out. And uh, I thought, well, I, I got new wipers. I, so I went back to the house and, and I walked into the house. And by the time I got there, I'm thinking about so many other things. I walked in and I thought, like, what did I come in for? <laughs> I forgot. I, I, in the in the journey back to the house, I forgot why I was going back to the house. And then I said, well, I'll get it later because I had to be somewhere else. So I ran back and I, I jumped in the truck. And as soon as I sat down in the truck, I looked through the windshield again because that wiper is toast. And because uh, we haven't had rain all year, so I haven't needed wipers. Uh, and 
I looked through the windshield and I thought, oh my gosh, that's what I needed. <laughs> so if you forget to go the way of righteousness, the world has a way of reminding you. But in the meantime, you're not going to be able to see clearly through your windshield until you get that wiper. <laughs> so anyway, and Christ will wipe your eyes clear. He will take the scales off it. But you have to start the journey towards righteousness. You have to start with the basics. Sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. Actually start caring about one another as much as you care about yourself. All I can do is tell you. I can't force you. The world will force you. And you you may shake your fist and, you know, and give your sad faces on Facebook and and your angry face, you know, put on your angry face on Facebook because the government is so bad. But until you turn around and start going the way of righteousness, you're just going to get more and more of the bad because you have no defense. You cannot fix this. It requires the Spirit of God breathing in you and in those around you. Now, that's one of the, and we probably don't have time to go into it right now, but I added it to our prophet page, prophets page, in the summary of the different, uh, you know, I've kind of summarized a lot of the different prophets in the footnotes, so you can see what the theme of those individual prophets is. But it, it talks about this, this common theme of, the Spirit of God can actually change the physical environment around you. And it also talks about how God continued to love His covenant Israel, which is not a bloodline, because we know Egyptians left with the Israelites, so that it's not a single bloodline. It has to do with those who have the faith of Abraham written in their hearts and their minds. And it isn't about being a member of some church. It's about walking in that faith. But they're telling you that if you walk in that faith, that he will change the actual physical reality around you. You know, all the walls will fall down, but the wall you're in won't. But he also talks about how you will see things, scales will come off your eyes, that don't come off the eyes of others. But he also talks about the fact, you know, Jesus talks about the fact that those who do not follow the ways of righteousness will forget. They will go back into darkness. You know, they'll be inserted back into the matrix. And it may seem really good at first, but then maybe it won't be so good. <laughs> so, anyway, you have to make that choice. And what's the word that Jesus uses? Persevere. In the way of righteousness. Not in the way of feeling good. You don't want to go to church because it makes you feel good. It You want to go to church to save others. It has nothing to do with feelings. It has to do with saving others. And not even getting a righteous feeling. The others you save, they they may not even like you. They may betray you. I mean... And this is the other thing that it says in the prophets. That that the love of God, God will continue to love you whether you go the way of righteousness or not. He will continue to love you. But His love will be like hot coals on your head. His love will bring the cause and effect of His universe. 
It will bring destruction. His love will bring destruction because you've rejected his love because you would not love your neighbor as he loves you. You would not love your parents as he loves you. And that is the key to opening the door to the Holy Spirit. You you have no real control over the door, by the way. You you can knock on it. But you have to wait upon the Lord to open that door. And if you start going in the ways of righteousness, but then you turn back, you take your hand off the plow and you say, well, this, I'm not getting the good feeling with His Holy Church that I got with the other churches I was going to. No. It, and again, I have no control over His Holy Church. That's a phrase referring to Christ. His holy church. His holy called out. Who are there to be servants of the people. For the people. By the people. They, I cannot give you what others do not give me. But I know that if you give to the ministers. And, and everybody doesn't give to me. They, if you're sitting down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. You deal with your immediate minister. If you're not giving to them. They cannot give to others. Except of themselves. Well, the field will dry up. You, Everybody has to do their share. Because it's the kingdom of God for the people, by the people, and of the people. And so, but if everybody who's sitting down is sitting down because they care about their neighbor as much as they care about themselves, this is a no-brainer. It's already built into the system because it's built into your hearts. But if you choose not to go that way, Something else will happen. Second Timothy 3.12 Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. And that's what we've been seeing for the last two years. Or at least the last year especially. Is the very people that are the most covetous. The most into this idea of exercising authority over their neighbor. And taking away the rights of their neighbor. They're the first ones to line up for destruction. They get in line for destruction. They get in line to be decimated. You know. And that's... And if you're you're decimated, that's ten percent of you are gone. And if you're decimated again, another ten percent is gone of the ninety, and etc. But Christ talks about you, he, and therefore you, caring about that one sheep that is lost of nine of a hundred. And the ninety nine are willing to sacrifice so that the hundredth sheep will be found. And saved. You see, if you've got people sitting down in the congregation of ten, and this is really important, that congregation of ten, your little congregations out there, we have, we've had ministers who say they want to be a part of the kingdom and part of His Holy Church, but then they just focus on their little congregation. They won't sit down in the tens, hundreds. They only sit down in their little congregation. 
they're not thinking kingdom. They're thinking about their little congregation because their congregation makes them feel good. See, they're going there for a feeling the same as their congregation comes from a feeling. And they're not telling their congregation the whole truth because they're afraid their congregation might leave. Because they're not the church. They're not his holy church. They're their unholy church. So, they don't care about the sheep that's lost in the other hundred. You know, the other nine congregations. Because that's the way the early church organizes, tens, hundreds, and thousands. So, that ten families in that synagogue of Christ, of that congregation of Christ, had to care about the other 90 families. And actually the other thousand families. As much as they care about their own, the families in their own congregations. If they did not do that, Paul would have had nothing to take to Corinth or Galatia. Or nothing from Galatia to take back to Corinth. Or to take to Syria, or to take to wherever the dearth was the worst. They, he could not rightly divide the bread from house to house, from nation to nation, which was kind of his job. Meanwhile, in all those different nations, there were deacons, ministers of ten, that were dividing from house to house. But they were also, they were casting their bread upon the waters. They were caring about the others as much as they care about themselves. Most often in the biblical text, waters are the general population of the people. It isn't It isn't necessarily Israel. But remember, Israel was to be a priest to all nations. Christians are to be priests to all nations. But they cannot be good priests to all nations until they are priests to one another. Kings and priests in their own families, those families coming together in free assemblies... Not forcing anybody to contribute. Not requiring other people to shame or guilt or anything to contribute. Because I'm not trying to guilt you. I'm just preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Which is thousands, millions of people sitting down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands caring about one another as much as they care about themselves which is the antithesis of what the governments of the world have been doing for the last hundred years. They've been sitting down to get benefits at the expense of their neighbor because they don't care about their neighbor. They want their free stuff. And that's going to bring a different spirit. That's going to bring an incomplete spirit of life. And in such a spirit will come cancers, will come disease, famines, destruction. Even the soil will not produce what it needs to produce. Because you're not presenting the blessings of God to your neighbor. So even the ground around you will not produce the blessings of God. You have to do it. And you have to believe it because it is written in your heart. And the only way it's get written in your heart is you have to set down the false beliefs, which is what I've been doing today. It's helping you see the false beliefs that are being fed to you by a church that is not of Christ. It says it is, but it's bearing false witness as to the real Christ. Because Christ did not come to be saved. He came to save others. He did not come to get a good feeling. He came to sacrifice. 
If you're coming in the name of Christ, if you're coming together and gathering together in the name of Christ, you're gathering together in the character of Christ. To care about one another as much as you care about yourself. And and I know a lot of you have the seeds of that in you. But Christ talks about the sowing of those seeds. They they need in order to prosper they have to fall on fertile ground. And and that fertile ground is in your heart. They have to grow up and not be choked out by the weeds, the false churches of the world, the the public religion of the world. You know, but you have to let that Spirit of God speak in your heart and your mind. On each of the pages of Habakkuk 1, 2, and 3, I have this little mem up on the, the right of a little girl putting her hand to her lips, telling you to be still, to keep silent, uh, so that you can hear God in His holy temple. You are the temples of the Holy Spirit. But you have no control over His Holy Spirit any more than you have control over His Holy Church. I don't have control over His Holy Church. And again, that word church is the called out. Whoever those called out are. I've been looking for them. <laughs> They're out there somewhere. But uh, they, more than being called out of the world, they're called out of selfishness. You know, there's a reason why the pastors of the churches, the bishops of the churches, were to be the husbands of one wife. To be faithful to their family. To raise their children. In a a certain kind of character. I mean, their fate is not tied to their children, but why they say that is because in the way in which they raise their children, the way in which their children have come up in the world, and the way in which they have stayed faithful to their wife and to their husbands, which is always a struggle in every relationship, is showing that they will at least persevere in these things, these temporal things of the world. This is why you elected elders, older men who have proven themselves rather than the young men who are full of zeal but not always full of wisdom. It's hard to find men who have done that, who have persevered with their families. It's like, you know, the vampire who would only drink the blood of virgins, moved to Hollywood and almost starved to death. Virgins are hard to find in Hollywood. <laughs> the righteous are hard to find today. But God knows where they are. And hopefully God will start to show them to us. But he's showing me what they don't look like on a pretty regular basis. <laughs> I guess we've had a lot of people coming through here who don't have the perseverance, who don't have the faith, who don't have the, they don't understand the sacrifice of a family. So how will they understand the sacrifice of a church and the ecclesia of Christ, which is what the church means, the ecclesia, the called out of Christ. That's not everybody. Everybody everybody's not a member of the church. The apostles were the ecclesia. And there were more that were added to the ecclesia, the church, who owned all things in common. But the congregation of the people were free assemblies who looked to the church and their neighbors for the love of Christ to come through them 
as they came in that love of Christ for others. See, as you judge, so shall ye be judged. And that's why Habakkuk 1 starts off the burden which Habakkuk the prophet did see. O Lord, how long shall I cry and thou wilt not hear? Even cry out unto thee of violence and thou wilt not save. We see the violence today. Hundreds of thousands of people losing their jobs, losing their livelihood. Now, supposedly, people think they had a little victory because, oh, they're rolling back some of these requirements. I told you the end game is not getting everybody jabbed. They want to get everybody jabbed, as many as they can, and they're certainly pushing that. But the end game is the destruction of mankind. Because the end game didn't start with them. It started with the spirit that they follow. You have to start making sure you're not following the same spirit. But, until then, all I can say is peace upon your house and may God be with you. Join us on the network. Sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. Start learning what it means to care about others as much as yourself. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net.